Good morning, everybody. Um, whoa. Hey, whatever you guys are doing up here, keep doing that. Amen. Um, actually, um, Devin, Devin Mistretta, will you come here? Woo! Give it up for Devin. Come on up here, buddy. Give it up one more time for Devin. So, you know how, like, when you're at Father's Day or, or Mother's Day or, or um, like, certain events and they're like, well, who's been married the longest or who's, who traveled the farthest or whatever? Um, I know that Devin might be the youngest person in the room, but I want to point out to everyone, um, he might be, with the exception of myself and certainly John and Maureen Staley and a few others, Elaine Sluga, and some others that have been here since the beginning, but Devin's probably been here way longer than y'all, and he's got seniority. <laughs> this, on a serious level, uh, you've been faithful way in the back, in the center, and you come up, and you serve, and you go down, and you serve, and you've been here not just Sunday morning. He comes and practices, and he pours his heart into his talent and what God's given him um, to give us. And so um, I was just sitting there like, wow, this guy, he's been here. He's so faithful, way more faithful than most of us. So I just wanted to recognize you and just say thank you uh, for all you do. So give it up for Devin. <laughs> he is... Uh, he will accept iTunes gift cards or... Uh, hugs or anything, a kind word, but I think he'd probably prefer iTunes gift cards. Um, no, we really appreciate uh, him for all he's done. So, hello everybody. Um, a couple quick things before we dive into Luke chapter 23. Uh, last week, if you were here, I hate to live in the past, but oh my glory. That was such an amazing week last week, right? Katie did an incredible job walking us through different uh, divine appointments. And for sure, all these interns did an amazing job walking through their summer experience of what God's taught them, what they've seen, and the divine appointments that have like, like just intersected their life. It was so uplifting and so encouraging to the body, to you guys. I know that was. Um, the other thing that we did was no small thing. And I just wanted to point out for a moment, um, at the end of the service, we had a uh, a baptism, and a lot of people gathered around, and, and, and baptism is one of those things where um, it's interesting that, especially in a church like this that was built um, many, many, many decades ago, uh, it was built as a Methodist church, and um, there wasn't a, a baptismal tank that they built in, so we had to get creative and bring in this giant, ridiculously pain-in-the-rear-end uh, kind of tank, roll it sideways, and then uh, come in and fill it with warm water, um, and then literally, if you'd see the, 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 the science project I taught my kids this week as I came midweek, and like you put a hose in the bottom of the tank, and you put the hose out the window, I'm like made for this redneck job sometimes, like this is perfect, and then you literally take the hose and you just, you suck as hard as you can, 
and it feels like this isn't working. And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> like you choke. And then what happens is it creates this amazing vacuum. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. Anyways, so we had a baptism last week. <laughs> uh, and I just simply wanted to, to point out the obvious. A lot of times when we, uh, when we do things like baptism uh, or the other ordinances of the church that we um, observe or we practice on a regular basis, like baptism or communion um, or snow cones. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's not an ordinance of the church. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, but sometimes we, we got to, like, wait, oh, why, why are we dunking people in water? What's this about? And, and you know, we even walk through the simplicity of, of we put someone in the water. Um, it's symbolizing dying with Christ. We bring them out of the water pretty quick. <laughs> um, so that it symbolizes life in Christ. And as Christ died, we die to ourselves. And as Christ rose, we rise. That's the whole idea. And, and just from a practical level, I wanted to walk through um, 1 Peter. Um, I'm going to pull a Bryce here. 1 Peter chapter 3, even though I have an actual Bible right here. Um, I'm totally with you, Bryce. Uh, it says 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this. It, 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 the metaphor here um, that it talks about above is Noah in the ark. Um, but baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a, a baptismal or a baptism verse, a verse on baptism that sometimes we fail to see the significance of this. We talk about the practical aspect. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've made a decision to ask Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sins, as the Son has set free, you are free indeed. This is an outward sign of an inward decision. And so I know that sometimes um, there's these long conversations we have called sermons. They're kind of one way, I understand. Um, Sometimes in these long conversations, we've missed the very practical aspect that maybe, maybe, like for you, you need to make that decision to follow Jesus, to be saved, to be, as Jesus calls it, born again in John chapter 3. And as we are born again, as we are received Jesus, as we are saved, we're asking him to come into our life to forgive us our sins, we're recognizing that our sin has like stiff-armed God and has divided us between us and a holy God. And we're recognizing that Jesus, the gap, that, or he was the one that bridged the gap. He was the rescue to reach to us. And in relationship with him, that prayer in that moment begins a lifelong, an eternity-long relationship with Jesus. Amen? And so baptism is a wedding ring of our salvation. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment, an inward covenant that, G, that we have made with Jesus. And so I just wanted to point that out this morning. Uh, I know last week uh, we baptized some, and then I kind of pointed it out and kind of asked anybody else. And of course, uh, people didn't jump in the, the tank. And, and I, I just wanted to clear up any confusion. If that is something that you have done or are interested in doing, 
making a decision to follow Christ, to be saved, to be born again, come talk to one of us after. We'd love to give you some clarity on that practical, actual uh, decision, and then how you can follow through uh, with identifying with Christ, confessing the name of Christ before man through baptism. Okay? Um, all right. So, and then one other thing I want to talk about before we get started. Um, <laughs> so last week, um, <laughs> last week, um, all five of our interns, uh, let's give it up for our interns one more time. They did an amazing job. Um, they did an amazing job this summer, literally holding together, pushing forward, just orchestrating everything that happened in our, uh, our missional outreaches this summer through I Am Love. They learned a lot. They saw a lot. And um, as you know, that um, those ladies, um, <laughs> they had a lot to say last week. And I'm sure that they could have said so much more. And one of our interns, um, who all of our interns are amazing and great, and this one is no exception, um, she at times is, is not very pushy. And she wanted to share a story um, with you last week of divine appointment. And she didn't get to because she wasn't pushy enough. She wasn't like, get out of my way. It's my turn to talk kind of person. But nonetheless, she has a lot to say. And she, uh, Abby Quattrone, I'm going to ask her to come on up. I'll give it up for Abby. Um, I know, Abby, you had a, a story that um, you wanted to share last week, but it's just it's not actually more significant to um, where we're going to be in scripture today. So we'd love to hear your divine appointment that you, that you shared with the staff. We'd love to hear it. It's on. Here. Okay. So... Last Saturday was during I Am Loved week. Um, I was at the laundromat, and towards the end of it, uh, this lady comes back to grab some of her clothes, and I decided just to go out and help her carry, because she had a lot of clothes, back to her house. Um, so as we're walking, we're just kind of doing random conversations to break the awkward silence, and um, as we're walking, I get this feeling that I just kind of have to pray for her. And, and I was like, oh, no, it's okay. So I, um, I keep walking. I'm like, okay, this is good. Keep talking random. But it just keeps pushing me. And it's one of those feelings, if you guys know, that you can't push away until you do it. So I do it. I just pray with her in a gas station parking lot. I'm like, okay, this is good. I ask her if she needs prayer, and she gives me some things, and we just pray. And then... I'm like, I give in myself, in my head, I'm like, yes, I did it. And all of a sudden I hear her say, I don't get it. I don't understand. And then I'm like, she said that. did I mess up? My biggest, my biggest fear. I just confused her, my prayer. But then she continues and she's like, I don't get why you guys are helping me and showing kindness and love and you don't even know me. And you're helping all these people and you don't even know me and don't even know them. So it kind of gave me like a little gateway to show her and explain to her why we're doing what we're doing. 
And um, so that whole conversation just kind of made the stress and the tiredness of that whole day so worth it because knowing that at least that one lady left there knowing that she was loved was all that mattered, so. Right on. Oh, I love that. So good. Thank you, Abby. Um, we, we need to be reminded of why we do what we do. Always questioning what we do. Not just, not just as a church, but individually in our lives. We really always need to be in a place where, um, not that every single thing has to be dissected and questioned and uh, criticized, but just really what are we about? Why are we alive? What is God ultimately bringing us to? Why has he put me in this spot right now? And you may ask yourself this morning, like, why am I here right now, Lord? Look at the circumstance of your life, the emotion that you may feel, the circumstance of maybe where you've been the last couple weeks, or this year, and question, God, why am I here? Why now? And how do I proceed? And so today, I want to talk about a couple different things, but specifically, not just that divine appointments are about the when, when God has us uh, set up for a divine appointment, but how he has us set up for the divine appointment. Um, we just got uh, two weeks left of our divine appointment series. Uh, Pastor Cameron is going to be wrapping it up next week uh, for us in that realm of divine appointments. But I want you to turn today to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And I want to share with you briefly... One of my divine appointments. Uh, one of my divine appointments are not, not necessarily about a stranger and a conversation or uh, maybe an intersection or, or a connection that you guys have had the last couple of weeks through our I Am Loved. Uh, my divine appointment had to do with uh, my family. In fact, one of my children that um, <laughs> uh, divine divinely showed up. Um, I'll define the word divine as God's timing. God's timeline. An infinite God that steps into a finite moment of time. We call that God's time. Divine. It's basically like God saying, wait for it now. That's what, that's what divine is. God is saying, wait for it now. And it's his moment of when. Uh, we had four children, and uh, we were really excited about that. And um, I know I've told this story many times, so I'll bust through it. Um, uh, four children, we were really happy. And um, there were some events that were supposed to happen to make sure that we had four children. And um, those, events, <laughs> those events didn't happen, and other events happened. And next thing I know, I'm walking. Is this... Crossing a line. Am I crossing a line? We, we should have talked about this. Move on. Okay. I'll never forget the day we got two pigs. That's not the... That's not the... That's not... What, <laughs> wow. 
that that's really I should really take more no, or write down more of my notes. Um, not so free. Uh, we got two pigs. I don't know what I'm doing. We're walking back from the. I'm walking back from the barn, completely overwhelmed with what am I going to do with these piglets? Like I don't know how. To, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Covered in stuff, walking back from the barn, exhausted, on a day uh, in March. And uh, I'm walking towards the house, and my wife comes out of the house. Um, she comes kind of quickly walking out of the front door, down the porch, um, down the driveway, and she's crying. Um, she's very upset. Um, and my first thought was, you know, my, th- my thought was like, who, who, who passed? Um, uh, something awful happened, something. And she's walking towards me, and she literally stops about from here to the wall, away from me. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> um, and, uh, and to, to which I'm stuck in the spot like, yay! But then the other half is like, why is she crying? <laughs> oh, sh-. And she turns around and walks back to the house. <laughs> Then ensues a very, a, in a serious matter, a very trying nine months. Um, uh, my w- wife was very, very sick almost every day, every night. Um, this being our, our, actually our seventh child, but our, uh, we had a, a couple um, children that we had lost in pregnancy. Um, but this being her seventh one, it was, it was, just as difficult, if not the most difficult she ever had. Um, and then um, we were trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to name our child? What are we going to name our child? And um, I think ultimately the last few years have revealed that God has his way of doing his thing, um, his way at his time, not my timing, not your timing, not anything to do with anything that we can um, control or force God to do other than lean into what he has for our lives. And sometimes it may seem difficult or sometimes that road is very, very, very hard and difficult. Even when um, our daughter, who we, uh, as you know, and I talk about a lot, um, is named Mabel. Um, her name is um, Mabel Divine. We named her Mabel Divine, because we knew and we believed, um, as we have with each one of our kids, we felt like God had a, has a purpose for each one of our kids, and so we would grab a verse that had to do with each one of our kids, somewhat of a spiritual totem over their life, and we felt, for Mabel, we felt that uh, Ecclesiastes 3 talks about how there is a time for everything under the sun, a time to dance, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it goes on to eventually say that Everything is beautiful in his time. Everything is beautiful in his time. What is his time? His time is divine. And so that's why we named our child Mabel Divine. I have a picture of her if you don't know who Mabel is. Uh, she isn't that smeared um, sideways, but uh, this kind of encompasses everything about her. Like, she's cute. She's charming, but like you know that chaos and mess is just about to happen. And she is like, 
And, and I'm not, like, I, we can joke about it now and smile, but the day-to-day, even now the day-to-day is like, oh my goodness, you are crazy. And I love you. You're so cute and funny. But God, your timing is so interesting. It's, it's divine. I love your divine timing. But for me and for Brienne, it has taught us ultimately, and I can say this with full confidence, but also with a little bit of hesitation uh, because it's not been easy. We trust him. We trust him with our family. We trust him with how, what in the world would our family look like and be like without divine. The first week of her life was touch and go. Uh, She was at Buffalo Children's for about a five, six days, and uh, as you were, if you were at Conduit a couple years ago, um, you were actually a major part of God healing you, healing her through your prayers, actually during a Sunday morning service. It was the craziest thing. Um, She was having some major problems inside, and all of a sudden, after um, you guys stopped to pray, um, all of a sudden, Sunday afternoon, she was like, good to go. Nothing wrong. 100% good. She went home, and she's been great. Uh, well, healthy, she's been great ever since. Um, all that to say, God has a way of giving us what we need when we need it. And sometimes what we think we need isn't necessarily like comfort and like an easy road. He gives us what he needs. And that, that the when and how he does that is called divine. It's called divine. God's moment of saying, wait for it now. And I think that sometimes in regards to divine appointments, it's not just about the when, it's about the how. It's about the how. And so in the context of this morning, in the context of of Jesus' death on the cross in Luke chapter 23, and how this intersects with two thieves, one on the right and one on the left, I want to bring, just for a few moments, the context of Conduit Church this morning. You as the body of Christ. There's something applicable for us all individually, but this morning, collectively, I want us to see. I want us to see as a church. Perhaps, perhaps, Conduit is here in 2018 in the city of Jamestown, for a divine appointment. Not just with specific individuals, not just with you and you and you and you and those that have been baptized or come to Christ, but maybe perhaps Conduit Church has been put in a spot in 2018 in the city of Jamestown at the corner of Newland and Delaware for a specific time. It's, it's God essentially setting Conduit here and saying, wait for it now. Now, I have a plan, I have a purpose for this church, for this city. To see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, and our cities. Maybe perhaps everything that's happened with us as a church, collectively, both in each individual life, as well as frankly, what has happened with us in leadership in the last 10, 11, 12 months, or 18 months, Maybe perhaps God's doing something here. Maybe perhaps it's not even just about the when of him doing something and that his divine appointment is a time 
a when. Maybe perhaps it's a how. It's a how. And I think that kind of answers the question. The how kind of answers the question of why conduit is where it is right now in this time, in this city, at its location. And you happen to be here this morning. I believe strongly that there is a purpose behind every church. That each church has a unique way of reaching people that aren't a part of it yet. Uh, Rick Warren talked about how the, <laughs> the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. Think about that. The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. So we're really glad that you're here this morning. It's really ultimately amazing. The New Testament church is about those that are followers of Christ, those that have made that decision to become saved, that gather together for the teaching, for the worship, for the fellowship, for the breaking of bread, for all of this as a church. But ultimately, as one of our codes say, we exist for others. That we're not just saved from something, we're saved to something. We're saved to be on mission in your homes, your churches, and your cities. So this, this qualifies all of y'all for the mission. This isn't just about people that volunteer at church. This isn't about just the people on staff. This isn't just about the interns. This is about every single one of you, young, old, man, woman, boy, or girl. You have a part to play in your home, church, in your city. That's going to bring wholeness and redemption to the city through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so here's what I think. I think that Conduit has a unique way of doing things. No, we're not like every other church. You know what? Every other church is great. We're not here to be different just because we don't like how other churches do things. But I believe with all my heart there is a way that God wants to, a how of, of what God wants to do in this church to uniquely reach the city, to uniquely reach your home, to uniquely reach other churches and be an encouragement, come alongside other churches. We're embodying the name of Jesus and the wholeness and redemption of everything that we do. Ultimately, the how is the unique way that God has wired you to do things. You all, as followers of Jesus, you've been, give, you've been gifted the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is he convicts and he comforts and he guides and he directs. But one of the greatest powers, one of the supernatural things that the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life is he gives us these gifts, these spiritual gifts to build the church. Not the building, but to build one another up. To build one another up, to reach into the community, to connect with certain people, to create. Like God has created a divine appointment for you that he's not created for you. And he's created a divine appointment for me that he's not created necessarily for you. These divine appointments have nothing necessarily to do with how one of us is more special than the other. It has everything to do with how we are created unique. And that's why this church will never be a certain political strand. This is why this church doesn't major on the minors. This is why this church focuses on the love of Jesus and how it changes everything. And that the power of the Holy Spirit through those spiritual gifts makes all the difference in every single one of us. Because here's the thing. God doesn't want us to just to reach a certain group of people. Just re represented in this room. You guys are all going to disperse to a very diverse location. And a very diverse kind of people that you're going to see, again, in your home. 
We want to we discredit being a missionary in your home. We want to elevate that as the top priority. Because if we can't be a missionary on mission in our home, then why would we waste our time in the church or the city? What God is ultimately inviting us to is to bring Jesus in our heart, in our life, in our home, to building character and integrity with, it doesn't matter, even if no one is around. That's what we're called to uniquely lead. Um, <laughs> Bree, do you have your phone? Can I borrow it for a second? So, everybody have their phone with them? Just double check. You got your phone. Uh, anybody have iPhone 10? Nobody has an iPhone 10? Two of you. Conduit, we are not leading an innovation of technology. What is happening? Any flip phones in the room? Any jitterbugs? Anything? <laughs> Anybody know what a jitterbug is? Seriously? There's like 20 of you that know what that is, but you don't have an eye. What's happening? Lord Jesus, we just pray right now. Um, an iPhone 10 has this thing called facial recognition. And essentially, when you pick up the phone, you set up your phone, um, it somehow, in a creepy, super creepy way, um, has a way of recognizing your face because you've walked through that setting up process with your actual phone. Now, follow me for a second. Um, so when my wife picks up her phone, the camera recognizes her beautiful face. And it immediately unlocks and it opens. And now she has access to her phone. Now, there are many times where my phone is dead or lost or something else. It's been doing this crazy thing lately. So uh, maybe it's doing that thing and I need a phone. And so I'll grab my wife's phone and I tap it because, again, the iPhone 10 doesn't have that little safe button at the bottom. There are no more buttons. The whole thing is a button, all right? So it's a big thing to get used to. So maybe, maybe don't get an iPhone 10. Nonetheless... When you tap wherever on the screen and you go to swipe up to unlock it, what happens is it's, it's essentially like, I don't recognize you. Like, I, like, in fact, it does that. Like, the whole thing just kind of shit. Like, not the actual phone, but the screen's kind of like, ee, like, I'm not seeing you. This isn't right. And it's crazy how literally it could just be held up to her and it opens right away. But for me, it shakes. But then it gives another option. To access this phone, it says enter passcode. Now, I know the passcode. I know it. <laughs> and I now have access to her phone. Amazing, right? There's this beautiful analogy here. You ready? <laughs> I can't access her phone, because I don't have her face, <laughs> far from it, right? Here's the deal. Her phone is unique to her, because it's based on who she is and what she looks like to be able to access what is inside of it. There is a mission that God has called each one of us on, 
And that mission can only be recognized through who you are and how you are made. Access to the fruit of God and your life and the Holy Spirit using you in your home, your church, in your city has got to be the way that God has made you to be. No one else can access that but you. Yes, feel it. You're really, really special. It's this amazing thing that in all seriousness, God wired you the way he wired you. He put you where through the experiences that you have went through. You have, you have endured trials that no one else has endured. You need to hear on this. Like God has brought you through the fire. He's given you to build into you and give you great things to make you strong in the power of God and the power of his might so that you can ultimately go on mission for him in a unique way that someone else can't. You have the power to help people have access to this God. Simply put, you might just be the access code for Jesus for someone in your life. You might be the access code for Jesus in someone's life. There's this uh, hashtag that we use a lot. And it is, this counts as church. I believe it was Quint Limblad that came up with that a couple years ago. It's just this idea that no matter whether we're serving or whether we're out in the street or whether it's one of us or five of us or 20 of us or whether we're gathered here, that the body of Christ isn't about just like going to church. It's about being the church. It's about doing. It's about being somewhere and living out the power and the love of Jesus Christ to each person. And he you can't do what I can do. And I can't do what you can do. Now there are simple basic truths of the gospel. That Jesus died for them, that he loves them, that there is heaven, that there is hell. There's the the basic truths that are taught in scripture. I'm not talking about how it's different for you and you can have your own opinion about it. There are truths that, that are the baseline foundation of all this. I'm simply talking about the mission that you're called to. The way that God has uniquely wired you to connect with someone. Maybe you connect with someone um, because they're a mom as well. Maybe you connect with someone because they love to cook. Maybe you connect with someone because they love snow cones and they love to play and they love to laugh. Maybe you connect with someone because um, they know karate or um, jiu-jitsu. <laughs> maybe, you <laughs> maybe you connect to someone because you have a unique voice in their life. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're something in the community that, you know what, maybe even the rest of this room doesn't even know about. Maybe you're in law enforcement. Maybe you're uniquely connecting to people, or maybe you're um, arresting them and, and you're really uniquely connected to them. But maybe there are things that you just have to do with your job, but that's ultimately put you on a platform to have a conversation with them, to have an intersection with them. That is the beginning of the unique way that God has wired you for that specific person. That's the divine appointment. Not maybe, maybe like you're waiting around like, okay, God, when? When am I supposed to make this divine appointment? And ultimately, maybe today he's saying it's the how. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe the when is every day. But maybe he wants to use you and your spiritual gifts the way he's wired you, 
and asked you to connect with people for the how. That's how he has wired you. Um, this counts as church, is this idea that everywhere you go, that's church. I mean, yeah, the music isn't going to be as good. The preaching will be way better, right? Um, maybe the coffee isn't good. I don't know. Maybe it's just totally different. But you in your classroom, or you in your cubicle, and you in your office, or you on that machine, you with your coworkers, that is church. That's the way, like, that's what God's excited about. He's like, I placed you here. He's way more excited about that. And you being on mission for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords than he is you even being here this morning. Like, I know we want you here. We want you here. We want you here. And sometimes, like, summer, it's like, whoa, where is everybody? That's okay. But we want you here. But beyond that, God is more excited about you being there and there and there and there. As long as we have the idea, as long as we have the purpose of being on mission. That's how he's uniquely uh, orchestrated our divine appointments. So it's not just about the word, it's about the deed. It's about speaking, it's about connecting, and it's also about doing. This counts as church is an idea, uh, the main idea is that we aren't just a church that attends a church. We're a church that does. This church, a church, is wired for hearing. I heard this recently. The church is wired for hearing. And honestly, I want conduit to be wired for doing. Like, it's geared for that. Like, you come in a room, you sit in a pew, we hear music, or we hear what's happening up on the stage. It's wired to hear. I want conduit to be known for doing. Like, this is important. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., growing together in our open houses, growing deep in discipleship and the word and the breaking of bread, all that is essential and important. But I want to be a church that's doing, out in the community, in your job, clocking in, clocking out, going home on mission, in word and in deed. All right. Sorry, it took me long to get there. That was an intro. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. The greatest thing about Jesus is that he constantly and consistently saw the big picture. He's God, but he never made it about him being God. I mean, he declared it boldly that he was the Son of God, and he was the Messiah, and he was God with skin. But his actions and the way he treated others, the way that he loved others, the things that he spoke, and the things that he did, always at the forefront of everything that Jesus did, had to do with him being what the church should be, being what the church should look like, even to the death, even to the death. So look at verse um, 32 of chapter 23 in Luke. It says, and then they will, I'm sorry, verse 32, two others 
who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So this is, this is not, this is a sober context. This is Jesus after he's been beaten and mocked, led to the hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, as it says in verse 33. It says he was led there with two others. There they crucified him. And these criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots. The, the they is not specifically the criminals. The they is in context in this chapter, all the people that are um, crucifying Jesus, the soldiers and those that are uh, railing against him and, and um, mocking him. He's crying out, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of bleeding and dying, even in the midst of being on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand what they're doing. So even in the midst of his dying moments, his focus was your forgiveness, my forgiveness. And it doesn't stop there. So he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And they cast lots and they divided his garments and the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, let him save himself. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him that read this, is the king of the Jews. And it said that. This is the king of the Jews. But it was to mock him. One of the criminals, verse 39, one of the criminals railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself then, and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And so there's these two thieves on the cross. One on the right of Jesus and one on the left. And they're having this conversation. This argument. This disagreement about all that's happening. And I love that in that moment, I, I described where Jesus was at. He saw the big picture. He thought about your forgiveness. He thought about the, the, the whole idea of why he was there. One of the thieves railed against him. All he thought about was getting out of this. All he thought about was taking the power of Jesus, the privilege of him being the son of God, and he could have done anything that he wanted and trying to get him out of the situation. And the other guy is rebuking the other thief, saying, what are you talking about? Stop. Like, we deserve this. This man, Jesus, does not deserve this. And he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, <laughs> the shortest sinner's prayer ever. Jesus, do you see me? Remember me. You clearly see where I'm at. See, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, verse 43, Truly I say to you today, 
you will be with me in paradise. Right there. Bro just got saved. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. Like he has eternal life. I want to meet this guy in heaven. I want to know what that conversation was really like. Were there, was there more said than just that? I don't know. I don't know. I've thought a lot about this this week. And I think theologically, theology, the study of God, I think theologically people like to pick apart this whole idea. People like to pick out, like, did he actually get saved? Like, they're arguing over, well, this guy, is he really in heaven? I mean, he never did join a church and get baptized. Um, he, it's this whole debate about theology when we miss the fact that the very incarnate God, Jesus, God in a skin bag, is right there with him and says to him verbally, today, you are going to be with me in paradise. I think that says it. I think that settles it, by the way. And there's lots and lots of other exchanges in the Gospels of when Jesus had the audacity to declare people saved. And it wasn't just through this Gospel prayer of forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, come into my life, I want to um, follow you all the days of my life, which is absolutely true. And you absolutely should do that. And I have absolutely done that. I would encourage it to the day I die that that is the basics of what it means to be saved. But you ultimately have to see this picture. This picture of him saying, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, I need to break this apart. But listen, listen what happens. He knows God sees him for who he is. He sees his situation. He knows his situation. He knows his sin. He knows that the very act that that thief did is causing him to die. But he also recognizes in that moment that he needs Jesus. You see the guy over here, this punk over here, that all he has to do is criticize Jesus and challenge him. They're like, bro, if you're really God, get me out of here. All he thought about was getting out of that moment, the hell of that moment, the hell on this earth. And there's a reality to that. I get it. But this guy over here, he wanted out of the hell of eternity. He wanted he wanted rescued, saved from the reality that, you know what, no matter how this spins, I only got a few moments left. And he recognized that Jesus was the way, that what he represented was the truth, and that he ultimately represents and is life, eternal life. And it's Jesus, and it's Jesus, and it's Jesus, and it's nothing else. we got to get past this spiritual totem climbing of a ladder of arriving at this place of bleh. Run after Jesus. Study the word. Know the word. The Bible is boss. That, this book that God wrote. It has everything to do with every part of our life. But now that we know it, now that we're studying, now that we're walking through it, we will never, ever help anyone if we don't come back to the basic, simple realization that they need 
Jesus. They need Jesus. Yes, there's absolutely ways that we can help people. And there's absolutely ways that we will, uniquely, through conduit's way, will help people. I just had a conversation with someone up front. Um, I, don't, I don't think she minds if I call her out, Jessica. Um, I, won't, I won't make you come up or hear anything. But I had a conversation with Jessica this morning before the service. And she was literally talking about the basic needs of a child. And she had a whole idea of how when those basic needs are met, then it's from there that they flourish to be able to see, perhaps, the truth. To be able to see, perhaps, and thrive to the basics of what life and eternal life really is. And so there are moments where providing a basic need is an absolute doorway to share their, for their eternal need. Um, there were so many stories that um, we heard throughout I Am Loved Week and through the things that happened this summer. I know one of them, um, a gentleman shared with me, um, who I'm going to keep anonymous, he shared with me an intersection conversation he had at one of our, our uh, serves, our, one of our laundry serves, actually. And just in that moment of doing somebody's laundry, it opened up in an amazing conversation with this gentleman who had walked there to do his laundry. And he had fallen on hard times, and he's um, in a much better place than where he was years ago. But he was talking about how simply it was God that was getting him there, that was helping him to get there. And you know what? Sometimes people that even know Jesus, that are following Jesus, they don't have a church. They don't have a community. So they don't have that weekly reminder of gospel community. And I think this gentleman was an incredible intersection, an incredible divine appointment with this guy because he just encouraged them that he's not alone. That he's not alone. That there's hope. And this gentleman that he was talking to, he was a professional in the community, had done many, many things for the community, and now felt himself in a place where he couldn't help anybody. And here, again, just that moment of, hey, you're not alone. We are with you. Come be a part of what we're doing. We want you here. You're a part of a family, the family of God. It was this amazing encounter. This is what we're about. That sometimes it is the exchange of someone coming to Jesus for the first time. But sometimes, everything that we do, maybe it's to help someone take one step further towards Jesus. One step, one step out of their current situation. One step out of discouragement. One step out of, I'm done. I give up. Maybe you help them take one step off the ledge, so to speak. You know, it goes the other way. The reality of the basic need of a child in this community. Never discredit the teachers of the local schools in this community. Never. Never discredit that. They work hard to do something for the child so they get an education. But they, if you could ask them and talk to them, it's so much more than just education. It's about love. It's about the dignity of being in their life and a positive influence, getting them perhaps one step farther, one step closer to where God wants them to go. And here's the thing. It's not always about the when. In those situations, it's about the how. How, here's the practical application for you. How, how 
is God going to use you to get them one step? How has God uniquely wired you to help your son, to help your mother, to help your neighbor, to help your coworker, one step? Maybe God actually gives you this amazing moment where you get to pick them up and carry them right to Jesus, right to the place that you dream of and pray for them to go, but maybe perhaps it's one step. Back to the thief. The thief recognized his need for Jesus. And when he simply said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he recognizes that he has and had at the moment a kingdom. He recognized that Jesus was the king of that kingdom. And so even in that conversation, he submitted himself to whatever that kingdom was like. But as he experienced, and as you and I hopefully experienced, that when we come into the kingdom of Jesus, when we come into the place of being saved, we are set free. We are set free. We are put to work on mission but we are set free in that mission. And that is ultimately about what baptism is a picture of. When they come out of that water, why does everybody cheer? Why does everybody celebrate? It's because they're free. Like it's, we can't see the spiritual at times. It's hard to grasp it. It's hard to, to, to feel it. But in those moments, we get to see what God has done and is doing in their life. I love this story because ultimately at the end of the day, (laughs) ultimately at the end of the day, God gives in his sovereign, sovereign will, he gives us a choice. That day could have went very different for those guys. Pardon the cliche, but which one are you? Are you one that all you see is your circumstance and situation? Or are you one that sees your circumstance and situation and recognizes your need for Jesus? Not just for that moment, but forever and ever and ever This counts as church. Jesus didn't, um, in his foreknowledge, probably didn't, um, he probably knew it, but maybe didn't understand in his foreknowledge, um, hashtag, this counts as church. Um, But ultimately, everything he did had to do with this counts as church. We do a lot of things at Conduit. We do a lot of different things. And, And especially in the summer, we get these opportunities to get out and to meet our city in a unique and different way. There's been a lot of chatter, um, uh, this, even this last couple of weeks, uh, with our leadership team and our staff. There's been a lot of chatter, a lot of conversation on um, <laughs> I Am Loved Week, and is what we're doing really helping, and did this work? Did this work? Should we be doing more of this? And should we do more of this? And there's this amazing conversation around that, and there's this amazing uh, 
uh, unity around that as well, is I really believe and I really know that the direction we're headed in is ultimately about this, that God is creating these divine appointments. It's not so much about the when, but it may be an ongoing win. But it's ultimately about the how. This counts as church. is about us uniquely impacting the city in a unique way that maybe no other church or no other person or no other person just like you can. In your homes, you're there, I'm not. God's called you to that home. God's called you to this so that home would flow into this church and would ultimately flow into the city. It's this beautiful picture of mission. That we would be conduits. We would be conduits. I love how Jesus, I'll say this in closing. I love how Jesus, um, (laughs) he didn't walk through anything with that guy on the right. Like, I don't know, maybe there's more conversation. But in this passage, in this, um, in this moment, uh, you guys can come on up. Um, in this moment, Jesus' conversation was more about yes. And as we said a few weeks ago, uh, sometimes love is drawing a circle around everybody and saying, you're in, Bob Goff says. He talks about how loving everyone is not like, I'm going to love you, and it's going to kind of turn, and I'm not, I'm just going to love them. It's this idea of drawing a circle around everybody and saying, you're in. Jesus did that for that thief. He didn't walk through some theological step. He asked a question, and Jesus said, yes, 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 see you there soon. Today you will be with me in paradise. You're like, man, ah, this is so good. Another thing Bob Goff said, which by the way, Bob Goff, good writer. Everybody always, excellent book. If you've not read that, you should go read that. But another thing he says, um, which I think has everything to do with that, he says, when you're questioning whether you can share, can you put that on the screen? Actually, I'm going to botch that up if I don't say it right. Okay, I'll just botch it up. Um, when you are not sure how to share your faith with someone, when you feel like you can't explain your faith, go love someone. You just did. Ah, I love this. Because there's this idea of like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't have this master plan in my home to, to like teach my kids the way of Jesus and the the ways of scripture or like in my classroom at school or with my, with my unsaved family at, at, at Holly. Like, I don't know how to walk them through that. I'm not sure if I know how to explain my faith. You should learn how to. And we want to equip you to do that. And ultimately scripture walks us through that. But right at the top of the list, right first step, maybe is just love them. Because if we've not loved them, We've discredited the rest of the message. Conduit, if we've not loved our city, we've discredited our message. If all we do is stand on the corner with a sign, we've discredited everything else that the gospel and that Jesus represents. He didn't say go stand on the corner. He says go into all the world and preach the gospel. How? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And how? How is this going to be a divine appointment? How is Jesus going to flip the world upside down? How is Jesus going to do it? He's going to do it through 12 
excuse me, 11 B-team junior varsity disciples. And what does he tell them to do? Did he walk them through like this huge thing? Well, no, he prayed a really long prayer in John 17, which essentially he just prayed for them to be one and united. But how, the how, that this counts as church to those 11 or 12 disciples, you know what it was? Love. Guys, when you can't, when you feel like you can't explain your faith, go love someone. You just did. Conduit. This counts as church. The basis of everything we do starts with love. And so if we want to talk further, we first have to come back to that first step. Are we loving? Are we drawing a circle around everybody in our life and saying, you're in. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to embody Jesus to you no matter what. And when you do, at that moment, when you love like Jesus loved, when you say yes like Jesus said yes, when you live every part of love out in your life like Jesus did, that, that counts as church. Would you stand?